Talk lines open now at 247-2000. Hello, 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 and welcome to the first City Forum brought to you by KPU and the Gemini Crystal Wizard. I'm your host, the one and only Joe Williams, and this is going to be a legendary show. I am in the studio with Ketchikan Mayor Rodney Dial. How are you doing, Rodney? Doing great, Joe, and thanks for having me on the show. I'm really excited. You know, we were having a little bit of a conversation before we went on air just now, and there are so many things that I want to talk to you about, and there's so many maybe misconceptions. You're you're quite the figure in Ketchikan. A lot of people have have opinions about you and things that you've done, things that they may think you've done that you haven't done, and all kinds of things. We're going to go right into it. But first, I always start any interview by talking about your Ketchikan origin story. How did you find Ketchikan? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, born and raised in Alaska. My family's lived here for years. Um, in 1990, I joined the troopers, and I did seven geographical transfers with the troopers, and two of those were in Ketchikan. So, first came here in 91, and we fell in love with the place, and then it took us about 10 years to get back here the second time. So, that's that's what brought us to Ketchikan, and this is our forever home. We love it. Yes, and I always say that people who are drawn to Ketchikan are definitely a certain type of people, right? There are people who come to Ketchikan, they're like, oh my gosh, I hate it here. It rains all the time. It gets dark in the winter. It's crazy. Um, and, and so I, and I find that people who really love it are usually artists of some sort. There's, it's a very art-centric town. People love to express themselves, and they love to give of their gifts here. I think that's what really solidifies you in the community if you decide to stay here and you're, and you're embraced by those who are here. So what is your artistic expression? This is my favorite question. Uh, so many people know us. We we opened a tattoo shop here in Ketchikan called Alaska Inc. We ran it for over a decade, did thousands of tattoos. That shop has now transitioned into a shop that my daughter runs on the north end. But that um, was really our Megan Dial, or also known as a Scarlet, yes. Scarlet, yep. Florida. Flora is her last name mm-hmm. now. But uh, so that's really one of our artistic talents. Um, also, I'm into carpentry. I do a lot of, I built a cabin recently. I uh, do a lot of uh, projects for like the nonprofits. So I built planter boxes for Rendezvous. I do baskets and stuff for various charity auctions. So yeah, we all have our artistic talents here in Ketchikan and, and uh, that's what makes us great. Yes. Speaking of art, the, the, uh, this year's Diva and Divas competition is coming up. Who are you voting for? Ooh, I don't even really know much about that, so <laughs> I'll have to look into that and yes, let you know. Yes, yes. Okay, so I like to really break it down and make it and make my guests more humanized, right? So I want to talk about a few fun facts about you. Like in in my research of Rodney Dow, I heard a lot of interesting things. You have a lot of lore behind you. I hear that you have a tank. I do. So back in 2010, when I was working with the troopers, uh, there was a, a double murder on Huna. Uh, in Huna, the community of Huna. It was one of the locations that we actually supervised. And uh, long story short, uh, we we sped over there as fast as we could. Uh, we confined the shooter in a house. Uh, we had many officers that uh, it took two days for us to get him out. We finally got him out with tear gas. But that whole incident really impressed upon me that I had my troopers in harm's way because, you know, we already had two officers murdered, and now we have to keep this guy in the community, and it shut the community down. So I, as, as a detachment commander, uh, deputy detachment commander for the troopers here, I really started looking into ways I could keep my people safe. And I found that 
in the lower 48, uh, some police departments had what they called the poor man's armored vehicle. And essentially what that was, was they would take an old military surplus vehicle and they would turn it into an armored vehicle for the police department. And so I, I found one in the States. A guy had one on a farm. I imported it to Ketchikan. I worked with a local fabricator and we upgraded it. In fact, it was the uh, first time it had been done in the world, and it got mm. published in ma many magazines. But So we made this vehicle basically so that law enforcement would have something safe in a similar situation in Ketchikan, and that's kind of the story behind the tank. Wow. Okay, that's very interesting. And, that, and did that lead into the reality show? So about, um, boy, I think it's about eight years ago or so now, we had National Geographic was up in the region, and they were actually filming the old Trooper show that they used to have. Um, and so they were they were filming us, and they, of course, found out that I had a tank. And they're like, hey, so we've got this show called Doomsday Preppers on Nat Geo. And, boy, you look like the right person for it. So that's kind of how that whole thing took off. Okay, so Doomsday Prepper, and, and, and that kind of leads directly into my last little fun uh, Rodney Dow tidbit. I, I hear that you are a quote-unquote survival hoarder. What does that mean? You know, it's actually more of a prepper. And, you know, what's kind of funny is uh, most people, I would say, in Alaska are kind of preppers to some degree. But um, I actually, part of my prior duties with the troopers, I was a, an instructor for FEMA and I used to teach a course called Responder Ready. And it came out of the lessons learned from Katrina, where you had this horrible event and about a third of your uh, first responders didn't even show up because they're at home taking care of their families. Mm -hmm. So the idea is you train your select first responders to be preppers, quote unquote, and that will allow their families to be safe in an emergency so that the, the officers available to respond to the emergency. So um, I'm certainly not some extremist that has an underground <laughs> bunker or anything like that. But, um, no, I do promote on a, on a local level that we really need to be prepared in case we have interruptions in barge service or or different events i mean it's just good common sense to to be prepared yeah that makes that makes perfect sense we're on a small island in alaska and so yeah it makes sense that you would have what you need to, to survive at least a year right so it's funny that you mentioned Katrina. Katrina is actually a big part of my Ketchikan mm -hmm. origin story uh, my uncle Ricky Colbert, I don't know if you know who, who that is, um, he lives here in Ketchikan. He moved here after Hurricane Katrina. He and his girlfriend at the time, um, Maria Saludo, they were living in Louisiana. So after the storm, Maria's from here. They moved up here, and they've been here ever since. And so I came up to visit him wow. five years mm -hmm. ago, and uh, and that's how Ketchikan drew me in, uh, just being here and, and, and immersing myself in the music and the arts in this uh, community. It's been just fantastic. So that's a, little, a few fun facts about Rodney Dow. Now let's get into the politics. Um, so if you have any questions for Mayor Dow, please call in. The number is 907-247-2000. That's 907-247-2000. I want to talk about your draw into politics. What made you want to put yourself out there as a political figure? And what was your draw into community service? So here many years ago, I was actually promoted in the troopers to a lieutenant and then detachment commander. And one of my strengths has always been writing. If you ever follow uh, some of my letters on Sit News or on Facebook, um, I used to do that on a daily basis for the troopers. In fact, I used to be assigned these things called red files. 
Um, the department doesn't have anything like an X file, but it does have a red file. And red files are real specialized investigations that are usually of a political nature or very sensitive. Mm -hmm. So I got assigned those over the years, and I did a really good job at it. So they asked me if I'd be interested in working for the legislature as a legislative liaison. So in an, about 2005, I started working for the legislature as a researcher, and they would give me a piece of legislation, and my job was to essentially dismantle that, tear it apart, look for unintended consequences, write a bill analysis, and then provide um, prepare fiscal notes on that, and then, if necessary, testify in front of the legislature as an expert witness. So I did that for about a decade, and it really exposed me to politics on a state level, and then once I retired with the troopers, uh, I had a bunch of locals ask me if I would be interested in running on a local level. So then I went into borough assembly for three years, and then from that, uh, I went into the mayor's position. Wow. Okay. And, you know, hearing you speak about your experiences with the troopers and on, it sounds like you've always been someone who seeks to be involved in their community in the most helpful of ways, right? Um, putting your life on the, on the line and, 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 the, and the troopers and so on. So I want to talk a little bit about your term as mayor. What do you feel have been some of your successes as the mayor of Ketchikan? Of the of the borough of Ketchikan. Well, first, let's get into a little bit about the city versus the borough, because I think a lot of people don't really know that we have a a two a two mayor town. Or when I first heard of you uh, fairly recently, I didn't know you were the mayor. I thought Dave Kiefer was the mayor, and that was just that. So I didn't know there was a city mayor and a borough mayor. What is that? What are the differences there? So Ketchikan's really not unique in this. I mean, if you go up to Fairbanks, you'll see the same. Uh, thing. But essentially, picture the borough as the entire region of Ketchikan, the entire island, uh, Gravina, Pennock, and a little bit of the surrounding areas. Um, and then, of course, the city is just the city, right? So you've got the city, and that's run by the city mayor. And then you have the borough, and the borough provides a separate function for, for basically the entire island. So mm -hmm. um, they're not they're not overlapping. They actually provide separate um, functions and support for the community. So there's there's two different, basically, governmental bodies for our town. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and so, and you say that the borough sort of handles everything on the island, but it does not include the city. So the borough uh, primarily is responsible for taxation. So we collect taxes not only for the borough itself, but also for the city. Uh, we handle education, which is the biggest single expense on the island. Uh, we do handle things like planning, um, you know, providing services in the areas outside the city limits, those type of things. And then the city, of course, provides for the things that concern the city. So two separate governments. And things that provide the city, what would those things be? Okay, so for the city, they've got a city police department, fire department. They've got the library. They've got uh, their public works. Um, they've got their ports. They manage harbors, things of that nature. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so now I'll go into that question. What do you feel have been some of your successes as the mayor of the borough? So one of the things I wanted to do when I came on board with the borough was I really wanted to make progress on a lot of the borough's longstanding policy concerns. We've had a number of issues over the years that we've advocated for on a state and federal level. We've never really made a lot of progress with those. So one of the first things I did when I came on board was I developed a plan to actually run our, our local issues all the way to the White House. 
And I brought that forward to the manager at the time. And the manager, who used to be a manager down in uh, California in some larger communities, said he never heard of that, but it didn't hurt to try. So I started writing letters, reached out to our congressional delegation, um, started reaching out to various contacts. And before you knew it, we actually got invited to the White House. Mm. Now, the great thing about this was we had all these three-letter agencies in D.C. that had been telling us all these things for years, and it was basically no on all these different policies that we had. But the thought process was that if we made our problems the president's problems, then they would become everybody else's problems. And so that's exactly what we did. And we ran it all the way to the White House, and then we got invited back. Uh, the next time we went to the White House, we the White House actually had those agency representatives there in the White House to respond to us. And what that did is it allowed us to turn a lot of no's into yeses. And a great example is just, uh, you know, a couple of blocks from where we're, where we're at right now, we've got $20 million being invested into the NOAA facility. Wow. And that, I, I was actually in a meeting in D.C. with the commandant from NOAA, and he had his lawyers on each side, and he said, listen, we determined that uh, we don't have to we don't have to bring the fair weather there, which is a research vessel, and we don't have to repair that dock, so we're not going to do it. And we said, well, you know, we hear you, but we don't agree with you. And we left there, and we went right to uh, our congressional delegation, and we went from there to the White House. And then uh, a combination of those efforts turned that around, and then Noah finally relented. And so now, not only do we get that $20 million investment, but we're going to get the fair weather here, which is this massive research vessel. It'll add about a million dollars a year to our economy. Wow. Okay. So that would be one major success point of yourself uh, that you would see as mayor. Now, you mentioned a lot of the issues that you and the city manager worked together to go to the White House and bring. I want to talk about what issues in our community have you seen as mayor that still need to be addressed? And what are your plans to address those issues if you're to be reelected? So we have a lot of longstanding problems, and a lot of our problems are similar to other communities. So probably the number one problem that we hear from everybody is affordable housing. Oh, yes. <laughs> and so the I can tell you that one of the number one things that I've done to address this from the beginning is to try to keep from making the problem worse, right? So the worst thing we can do regarding affordable housing is start jacking up property tax rates because then we just push mortgages farther out for people. We make it harder for people to qualify for loans. And so, you know, I take a lot of uh, pride in the fact that over the last six years that I've been elected, we have not increased the property tax rate for borough government one time, not wow. one time. And now there was a slight mill rate increase for education, but, you know, that's a separate issue. But what we've really done for borough government is we've cut every little expense we could. I, I cut my mayor's budget to zero. And as far as I know, I'm the only mayor that's ever served this community that's never spent a dollar of your tax money. And I even give up my office during the pandemic, right? I've looked for every single way to to cut expenses and to keep this community from becoming more expensive because I know that's just going to make housing worse. I also know that there's an issue with gentrification, right? So we mm. get people that come in that have money. You know, if we get 10 people that step off the plane today and they say they want to live here, if they have t more money than our 10 poorest, they displace them, right? Mm. So we've had people coming into town recently. I had one gentleman move up here, had a meeting with me. He bought two houses and a piece of property on uh, on a nearby island. And so so what I'm saying to, to folks that, that come up is, you're welcome. We love you. Come here. But 
but help us be part of the problem. Help us to build some housing as well. And so what we're also doing is uh, the assembly recently approved three different ideas to open up land on the north end uh, behind uh, Fawn Mountain potentially and uh, in the lighthouse region on the north end as well. So uh, we're making progress. Uh, I'm having meetings on a frequent basis with the governor, with the Coast Guard commander, uh, with just about everybody I can think of to advance the housing issue. And that's what I really hope to continue moving forward. Yeah, and you talked a lot just now about building more on the north end and such. But come, not being from here and knowing that we only have about 30 miles of road on this relatively large island, is there a reason why there's so much of the forest and so much, so much more land that hasn't been developed? So about 98 to 99% of the borough itself is is untaxable land. It's actual locked up land. It's forest service land. It belongs to native corporations. Uh, really only about 1% is, is stuff that we could actually develop. And of that 1%, there's a percentage of that that's classified as wetlands, right? So even that land can't be potentially developed. So you then you start adding in the land that because of topography, um, cliffs and and so you wind up in this situation where uh, it's just very expensive to develop. Mm. So we have to be able to find those state and federal partners to bring that money into our community because our developers can't pay the cost themselves. Got it. Got it. Okay. Now, speaking on issues affecting our community right now, I want to talk a bit about our, you know, every community around the country, potentially the world, has drugs, right? Mm -hmm. So... And it's something that you see more, I feel, in this community because we know each other. Right. What do you think about the drug issue in Ketchikan? So, I mean, I spent 25 years trying to keep drugs out of our community. And it's, it's a huge problem because we know that they're coming in uh, pri primarily in a few different ways. By mail, um, by the Alaska ferry system, and by um, the barge lines, right? I mean, it's really hard to prevent a bag full of pills coming into the community. And some of the issues that we've seen in the past, we had uh, prior legislation uh, called Senate Bill 91 that really kind of changed things a bit. Um, so we're, we're seeing those same problems that you see in the lower 48. And all of that to say that I think we really need to have a heavy uh, treatment focus and we need to get people early on before they become hardcore addicts and, and users because that usually leads to them actually selling drugs and those kind of things. And mm. I, I think if we if we get involved early, that's our best, you know, option for really kind of minimizing this problem in Ketchikan. And what would that look like, getting involved early? What does that mean? So so the biggest tool that we've always had to get people into treatment is when they go before a judge and a judge says jail time or treatment, because you got to understand for a lot of people. And if you've ever watched the show intervention, you kind of know where mm -hmm. we're going with this. A lot of people won't change until they reach the bottom, but if you wait until they reach the bottom, a lot of times it's when they're dead. Right. I mean, so we've got to, we've got to have some incentive to get them into treatment. And a lot of times that best incentive is in the, is in the courtroom. Right. So, you know, when we used to arrest people for possession of drugs, it wasn't because we want to be mean and put people in jail a lot of times. It's because we want to help them. And I can tell you over the years, I've had a number of people 
that hated my guts at the time when I arrested them for drug possession, but later said that, you know, that changed their life, right? They went to jail, they got the treatment, and they stopped, right? So, so I, one, we have to treat people with compassion. We have to treat them um, not like they're criminals, but we also need to have that tool to help convince them that they need to change, that we need to get them into treatment. Absolutely, absolutely. I think the drug issue ties really closely into my next question, the homeless issue in Ketchikan. When I first moved here, it was notable that there are a lot of homeless people here compared to the size of the community. And I actually heard that um, that there are there's some kind of thing where homeless people are brought to Ketchikan to just, just to be homeless here. Well, what, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I can tell you in the, uh, in the early days when I was with the troopers, there was this thing called the blue ticket, right? And this was especially true when we had more reliable ferry service from uh, Bellingham to here. But uh, we would get people that were given a blue ticket by the local police departments down there and, and the authorities and basically say, hey, you want to go to Ketchikan, right? And so um, we would see a lot of that, especially like in the early 90s and stuff. I don't know if that's a lot of um, what we're seeing today. I think a lot of what we're seeing today is just a realization that housing is becoming so expensive mm. and it's and it's so difficult to find for some people. They're being displaced and, and we're having these homeless issues. I really like looking at best practices. You know, what is working for certain communities? Let's do that. Let's not do what's not working for certain communities. Um, and so... I, unfortunately, I, I think it's part of it. It's a sign of the times and inflation and housing. But I think if we do address the housing issue, it will make a difference. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So you. So your thoughts are that the homeless issue is a, is a direct result of the housing issue. Uh, well, part what, of it. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. What What part of it? How do we address it? Because it's not just housing. A lot of these people mm-hmm. just don't have have work. Is there are there programs out there to get homeless people working, able to make money? Of course, a lot of the homeless in Ketchikan are on it's very serious drugs, so that mm-hmm. goes into the, to the drug issue there. What there has to be something else that we can do, and of course, that's a that's a question of how do we do that? You know, because a lot of people don't. It's not that they don't want to work, but they don't have the wherewithal. You know, if, if you're mm-hmm. if you're on mind numbing substances and things. How do you get someone out there to, to, to work? How do you pay them a fair wage so that they can go out and live and not be homeless? Right. That's, the, that's definitely the challenge. I mean, I think some of them would work if they felt that working was, would pay enough for mm-hmm. them to have a house and have all those things that they need, right? But I think they, for some of them, the, it's the despair of, you know, I could work and I still, I'm not, still not going to get ahead. Uh, we also do have the mental health aspect of this too, right? So we know that there's a high percentage of the homeless uh, population that has mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that, um, you know, as a trooper, we would do what's called a Title 47. And so if we encountered somebody with mental health issues and they're, and they're homeless, you know, we would offer them free mental health treatment 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And I, I know that local law enforcement still does that today under Title 47. But um, it's, it's going to take a combination of things. It really is. We're going to have to address the mental health issue. We're going to have to address the substance abuse issue. We're going to have to address housing. And if we do all of that, even just to an, a, a medium level, I guess, it, it'll have an impact downstream on housing, you know, on homelessness. Yeah. 
Okay, and I want to talk a little bit about sort of tying more into drugs and being able to work. Um, Alaska is one of the growing states who are uh, in which marijuana is legal, mm-hmm. but in a lot of jobs, it can be test. You you can be denied a job for using marijuana. What are your thoughts on that? And is that something that's even on your radar to look at? Well, it's nothing really that the borough would be able to weigh in on. I don't think. I mean, my personal opinion is that unless there is a public safety nexus to the prohibition for a person to use, for example, marijuana, then the company might want to look at relaxing those restrictions, right? So, for example, years ago, they used to say that if you ever use marijuana, you could never be a trooper, for example, right? Or law enforcement officer. Like even, even once? Even once. Wow. Right? And so same with the military, right, at one time. But but that's changed, and now it's it's if you haven't used it in the last year, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, as times change, we're realizing that, you, you know, the real substances of abuse are probably some of the harder drugs, right? The heroin and the methamphetamines and things like that. And, and marijuana, some people can use that responsibly. So... All I can say is that the from the borough's aspect, you know, we're involved in approving the licenses for facilities that sell and manufacture here in the community. And uh, for the most part, those have all been fine, upstanding people and businesses. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we've not had any issues with them. All right. There we go. All right. So I want to move on a little bit in, about into what is your vision for Ketchikan? When you when you step into your office every day, when you walk around the community, you see your constituents, what is your vision for this community? So I really, the vision is, is that we really need to focus on protecting the things that we like about our community. We can look around and see, for example, Seattle, perfect example, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been going to Seattle since I was a little kid. I always used to love going there with my grandparents, seeing the Space Needle. But there's just parts of that city that just aren't safe anymore, right? And so I think we, we, we owe it to the community to really look at what has worked well for other communities, what's not working well. Let's not do those things that aren't working well. Um, let's protect those things we really love about our community. Let's try to prevent the division, right? Because that's, that's the number one thing. And, I, and, I, and if you want to really have a good look at what that division looks like, I just would say go on YouTube Look at any Anchorage Assembly meeting from 2021. It doesn't matter which. Look at the public comments, and you'll see a community divided. And, you know, we really tried to focus through COVID to not have that happen here, right? And so I think the way we get there as a borough is we just focus on the basics, you know, the basic services that the people want us to provide and pretty much try to stay out of everything else and try to keep their taxes as low as possible, try to support economic development, support good jobs, and, you, you know, just just let those other issues kind of be decided on a state and national level. Wow. 